Hi, I'm Nick Spooner, and this is a new series of the Hope Not Hate podcast called Metapolitics. In it, we aim to explain the new fronts being opened up in the fight between the far right and anti-fascists. Our first episode is on black metal, which is a subject close to my heart. And it features Kim Kelly. Metal fucking rules. And George Parr. When I say the words black metal, what do you think of? been into metal from a young age. I was drawn to a sound which to me felt far more exciting, more dangerous and infinitely more earnest and genuine than anything I'd encountered up to that point. I might not have been able to decipher what the vocalists were screaming about half the time, but I knew that whatever it was, they meant it. But black metal is quite unique. Black metal exists in the outer reaches of the genre and in some ways it prides itself on that. It prides itself on standing alone from the rest of the genre. And to be honest, it took me a while to get into it. As a kid, I found it unnerving. I found the style, characters, and the sound bewildering. And in some instances, genuinely quite unsettling. But gradually, black metal won me over. And as black metal got its claws into me, and I understood more about this corner of the music that I love, began to discover things about it that unsettled me for a completely different reason. Black metal also has this sort of, a very specific ideological and almost religious tack to it where it's built on, it's built on hate, right? And then a lot of bands, they'll take that and use it as just sort of a cosmic, anti-human, anti-life, you know, hate everything kind of vibe, which is fine. But <laughs> it, the problems arise when bands will take you know, that mandate and direct it towards specific people or specific groups. And that's how we get this really awful, anti-Semitic, Islamophobic, racist, fascist element. A lot of people think of it as like this fringe of the genre. I've certainly seen high profile metal journalists suggest that and write it off as something not to take too seriously because it's just some people on the edge of it. There definitely is a sort of NSBM scene that's removed from the main metal scene to an extent where the problematic aspects are more prominent but there's a lot more crossover than people think and it gets quite complicated just in terms of you've got your, your band members being in multiple bands where one of them is outwardly a bit sketchy and the others on the surface there doesn't seem to be anything wrong. The black metal scene emerged as a pushback against the growing commercialization of metal. In response the first wave of black metal emerged. It explored darker and satanic themes in order to shock audiences, and it used more challenging sonic tapestries to deliberately exclude mainstream audiences. The most important thing to remember here at this stage, though, is that the satanic and the evil aspects on display were completely performative. The very first black metal band were a band from Newcastle called Venom. Here's their lead singer, Kronos, speaking about what inspired him. Do you think that it represented Satanism or... You're doing it as a joke. <laughs> no, what it did was, is because metal is supposed to be heavy, and there were so many bands coming out that were lame, like fucking Def Leppard and everybody, and that's shit, that's not metal, that's rock music. And what we were doing was putting the fucking metal back into metal. In 1982, Venom released an album called Black Metal, which ended up giving the subgenre its name. In 83, a band called Bathory formed, who ended up taking their name from a track off the Venom album. Bathory took the core components of Venom's sound and the aesthetic and expanded upon them to create the musical foundations of what people think of when they talk about black metal. Neither Venom nor Bathory really believed in Satanism, but they used it as a device with which to criticize the church. In my lyrics, I was more or less critical to this whole religious stuff. 
than I thought I was. And uh, I realized Sweden had a very interesting mythology in itself, the Viking thing. And you had to do it in the right way so that people wouldn't believe that you were serious about it. Uh, it was just a, a story thing, like the satanic thing. In the late 80s, Bathory abandoned Satanism in favor of paganism and are recognized as the forefathers of what's called pagan black metal. Pagan black metal has a heavy thematic focus on paganism and Norse mythology and speaks of the forefathers of Scandinavia in their traditions. This switch in theme from Satanism to Nordic paganism changed the boundaries of black metal, which are often very strictly policed, and the way in which black metal could be thought of. Pagan black metal makes ideas and themes to do with place and history the foundational building blocks of the genre's expression. This romanticism for a glamorized past along with infatuation with the natural environment became key for the way in which members of the Norwegian black metal movement perceived themselves and their scene. And this shift had a big impact on the second wave of black metal. And it's here where things really start to escalate. Black metal's second wave was initially led by a band called Mayhem. Mayhem were a huge and extremely influential force on Norwegian black metal. They also happened to be the darkest and the most extreme band in the genre at this point in time. At this point, the Oslo-based Norwegian black metal scene had amalgamated into a nexus of individuals and groups, gradually started to ramp up the extremity between its members. Bands in the second wave of black metal took that blueprint that had been laid down by the likes of Venom and Bathory before them and turned it right up to 11 to create a scene that was completely without irony, that was stacked with nihilism and misanthropic attitudes. As a result, this really started to create an echo chamber, an environment within which even more extreme ideas started to develop. Members of bands went on something of a spree of terror against the Christian church in Norway, with over 50 arson attacks on churches between 1992 and 1996. <laughs> Originally, the place was an old pagan holy site. It was top of a hill where our forefathers used to celebrate the sun. But what the Christians did was to move this church from another place and put it not close to this holy site, but on top of it. Somebody who was convicted of a spate of these arsons, as well as being influential in the growth of the National Socialist Black Metal Movement, was Varg Vikernes. Varg is definitely sort of patient zero for infecting black metal with, you know, white supremacist, racist, fascist ideas. But unfortunately, he's not alone anymore. And here's Varg Vikernes and his motivations in his own words. We are not Christian. Christianity is a Jewish religion. Christianity was originally a Jewish sect. Baptism is all about a symbolic ritual murder of the non-Jewish, of the Gentile. Though these vile views developed first in the Norwegian black metal scene, they have since spread, remaining sadly a resolute, hateful influence on wider black metal. There are a number of theories often kicked around as to why the Norwegian scene became so extreme. These theories include anger within the scene at the lack of separation between church and state, a response to a very heavy ban on horror and violent films that wasn't overturned in Norway until 2003. Others talk about a cultural distance between Norway and other parts of Europe, meaning that Venom's lyrics and aesthetic were consumed unironically. Most likely all of these factors had a role to play in some form, and along with the existence of a few good bands from Norway, 
they played a unique role in creating such an extreme scene. Mayhem's guitarist Euronymous was a central figure in Norwegian black metal. He opened a record shop called Hell, which became the focal point of the scene, and he also started a record label. In 1993, a feud emerged between Euronymous and Varg Vikernes, who was the sole member of the band Burzum and a former member of Mayhem. This feud ended in Euronymous being stabbed to death by Varg Vikernes in Euronymous's apartment following an altercation. Vikernes was convicted of murder and sentenced to 21 years in prison, but was released after 15 with parole. Vikernes claimed that the murder was in self-defence. This was a scene that was becoming increasingly comfortable with death, horror and the extreme. Whilst in prison, Varg Vikernes began writing, laying down some of the ideological foundations for the National Socialist Black Metal Movement in a series of anti-Semitic, misogynistic and racist diatribes that he collated into a book. These ideas became influential on a new generation of black metal artists and musicians, even after Varg's star declined. And at this point, Varg is sort of more of an artifact than any kind of real imp uh, influencer, I think, just because he's been around for so long and he's such a clown that, like, his, uh, I don't think that many budding neo-Nazis are going to look at one of his embarrassing YouTube videos about role-playing games and really draw much inspiration. But since he planted that seed back in the 90s, other bands ran with it, especially in places like Eastern Europe, where we saw Graveland sort of become the standard bearers for that. Or in even early US black metal, USBM, there were a lot of fascists running around with like, you know, Grand Belial's Key and Judas Iscariot and Grom. Like it was early, like the 90s, were a weird time, right? And a lot is a lot has changed, but a lot is still the same. I mean, a lot of it comes down to the fact that heavy metal in general, but specifically black metal, is still overwhelmingly white and male and cis and straight and all of that sort of quote unquote standard issue metal guy stuff. Like that's a, a lot of that is real, even though it's a lot more diverse than it was back in the '90s or even in the early 2000s when I was growing up. All the while there's been National Socialist Black Metal, there have also been anti-fascists within the scene pushing against it. My name's Kim Kelly. I'm a freelance journalist, generally trying to make life hell for Nazis. But um, <laughs> yeah, I've been into metal for a really long time. I've been a metal journalist since I was 15. That's like, you know, not to give away my age, but it's like <laughs> 17 years. Like that, was, I've been a metal person way longer than I've been anything else. Um, and I've been, you know, a politically kind of metal person just because I sort of had to be because I was at first I was like a teenage girl in metal, which will give you a crash course in all the ways that that can suck. And then through that, you know, as you, you get older and you learn more about politics, you start connecting more dots. And in terms of getting involved with anti-fascism specifically, I think I think I think. Uh, in my case, it's sort of the same for a lot of people across the U.S. Like in 2015, when the whole, you know, everything that was happening around the election, the the rise of Donald Trump started happening, and we started seeing so much hatred, like just out there in the open. I think that was a surprise to a lot of people who hadn't been following along as closely as obviously other people already had been. And uh, I ended up getting involved with my local community in in that world and i'm still 
you know, that's just kind of took over in a lot of ways because what is what could be more important than fighting fascism? Oh, another funny thing about black metal is the fact that it's so rooted in the sort of pagan rejection of Christianity in the modern church. And if you you can find yourself on a very slippery slope from being like, you know, anti organized religion into being interested in heathenry and more pagan animist religions and kind of sliding down into more the the heathen stuff in particular, there's a rejection of modern society in there. There's a veneration of old ways, old gods, and that can, as it turns out, that can translate pretty easily into, you know, Anglo-Saxon wolf way people are better than everyone, Vikings, yada, 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 like that kind of weird jumble. So there's, there's a lot going on in black metal in general, like down to its core. And that's all been exacerbated just by the way that society has developed and by the way that the scene has developed. And the fact that in a lot of ways, those more, you know, fascist exclusionary tendencies are allowed to exist unchallenged in a lot of corners of the metal scene, just because a lot of people, not everyone, obviously, but enough people in the extreme metal scene don't care right they they're interested in the music and the escapism and having a beer with their friends and listening to music or listening to a record they like they don't necessarily want to interrogate the ideas or the people who are making it and so there's a lot of resistance in a lot of ways when other people other fans other bands say hey that's not okay hey that's not acceptable hey you know fuck that like there, there's been this sort of kind of this internal culture war raging in black metal and in metal in general for the past, I mean, forever, but it's been very specifically heightened in the past few years when we have seen a lot more pushback from anti-fascist and even just people that aren't Nazis and don't want to tolerate that in their scene. There's pushback from that contingent to this more, you know, to, to the assholes, right? To the, the NS people, to the, the racists, to the people that just don't care if this stuff is flourishing in a corner somewhere. National Socialist Black Metal. So you have black metal yes. as an art form as a whole. Then you have NSBM, this weird subsect of black metal, which is exclusively Nazis. Anti-NSBM is a counterculture against that, a counter-movement against that. And so it's been kind of a nonstop clash and in some some ways it's become tangible in terms of you know shows getting canceled bands getting kicked off labels uh altercations at shows but while there is resistance inside black metal we also need anti-fascists from outside to have a better understanding of the genre in order that they can help challenge bigotry within the scene more effectively metal is it's such a Metal is such a, its own sort of walled fortress of a world that it, it has built up its own infrastructure for these things. Like, for example, uh, we have this website called the Encyclopedia Metallum, which is basically like Wikipedia for metal bands. And you can use that to track. So you look up a band and it has all the members, the discography, everyone they've worked with, and you can follow those threads. But you have to know that metal archives exist, right? Like you have to have that knowledge base to see, okay, this guy was in this band with this person and that person, that looks sketchy, let's follow that thread. Like there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of knowledge that you would sort of need to either acquire or already have to really be able to figure out what's going on. And metal is sort of, 
esoteric and sneaky in a way. There's a lot more crypto-fascist imagery and sort of dog whistle politics in there than outright NS, like, you know, Black Sun, swastika imagery. So you have to sort of know how to parse that. And there's even, because metal is nothing if not willfully obtuse, there's, you know, you can find a band who has runes in the cover and you can look at it and be like, oh, okay, well, they're probably Nazis because runes. But then you look into it and they're just a bunch of nerds that like Vikings and trolls and stuff. Like there's, a, it's, it's difficult, right? And if you're not already grounded in this world, you're going to have a tougher time figuring out what's worth paying attention to and what isn't. And I think that's been, I've seen that a lot over the years because I'm, I come from that world. So I, I can, you know, I can figure this stuff out pretty quick. And I can also tell people, okay, that band, I know they look weird. They're not actually fascists. They're just giant nerds or they're just sitting on the fence. Like there's a lot of shades of gray that I think are important to consider. And I think, um, you know, there has been some friction. There's been a lot of friction between anti-fascists who aren't involved in metal and then people in the metal community just because there's this sense that I've seen of uh, outsiders coming in who don't know anything about us, who are trying to tell us that what we listen to is bad or that these bands aren't acceptable. And sometimes people do miss the mark. And, you know, they'll focus on a band that they might not be the most pleasant and they might have some bad opinions, but they're not outright fascist or they're not promoting harmful ideology. And then some bands that are very much doing those things don't even pop up on the radar because they're a little more obscure. So it's really, it's a difficult little section of the world to to figure out, but there are enough people in the metal world, I think, who are paying attention now. Thank God, it's been a long, <laughs> it's been a long few years, but I think people are really starting to wake up now. And I think anti-fascists who aren't involved in that world have begun to realize that they need you need to work hand in hand with that community to really figure out what's going on. Like, I mean, which can apply to any instance, right? Any subculture. But metal just has a very specific way of trying to keep people out that makes it a little tougher to figure out. The vast majority of people know that when they see a swastika, okay, that person's an asshole. But, you know, if, if a band is showing up on stage and they have uh, a shirt that's like an anti-Islam shirt that doesn't have words, it's a little, a little more... Uh, subtle then they're just broadcasting that message to the people that want to see it and that understand what they're saying and it's totally going over other people's heads like that's the danger when you're dealing with bands that are sneaky and they're a little more esoteric and a little more crypto about their leanings even if an artist is explicitly racist or fascist a commonly heard defense is that of separating the art from the artist i mean there's a lot of music in the world, there's a lot of movies in the world. I don't think any artist is important enough where you'd have to sort of sacrifice your entire sense of integrity and humanity to support. Like there, this is something I see in metal all the time. Like, and as much as I love heavy metal more than almost anything, it's there's only so many riffs that you can come up with, right? Like, <laughs> you find like a non dickheaded version of basically any band or any genre you're interested in. So why waste all your time and energy trying to contort yourself into knots to defend someone who's an abuser or a racist or a transphobe? Like, it's not, it just doesn't seem worth it for me. And I can understand, oh, if I grew up with this band and, you know, 
they're they mean a lot to me and then I find out that they did something terrible that can be hard to deal with but ultimately it's just music like you'll be okay and if you feel the need to listen to some records you got from your dad when you were 12 and not buy any new merch I mean I'm not gonna come after you with a pitchfork but if you're really going out of your way to publicly and and financially support people that you know are awful then that just says more about your lack of empathy and lack of accountability than anything else like grow up listen to another band like i don't know man i feel like you owe it to other people and to your community to at least try fans shouldn't just stop listening to the music of those with hateful politics they need to take action to clean up their scene. When it comes to canceling shows, you are taking away a band or an individual's opportunity to spread hateful propaganda, to reach more people, to actively harm the, whatever community they come to. I don't, I don't see any downside to that. Like, yeah, some people will be upset that they didn't get to see a band they like. Grow up. I'm sorry. Like, boo-hoo. It sucks. I miss a lot of bands, too, just because, like, I grew up in a rural area and didn't have a car. Like, deal with it. Like... <laughs> And maybe it'll make you reflect on the kind of artist that you're clamoring to support. Some people have been criticised for using deplatforming as a tactic. Here's George Parr, deputy editor of Astral Noise. That suggestion that wanting to get rid of fascists and using anti-fascist tactics is somehow the same as fascism, which is just, I mean, I don't see how those things are the same in any way. <laughs> uh, if you're thinking fascism literally calls for the oppression or, or even death of certain people, whilst anti-fascism is just not letting that happen, that kind of sort of sitting in the middle is is, is becoming a prevalent sort of opinion, which is it's pretty dangerous because people can hold that and they can think, oh well, I'm not, I'm not, a fa I'm not on all that, you know, fascists, but they're actually being complicit in its spread because they're not challenging it. We've seen it even outside of the metal world. We've seen it across the general fascist landscape, right? We're removing a platform, almost it neutralizes the threat in a way. Like no one's heard from Milo or Gavin McGuinness in like, God knows, I kind of forgot they exist, which is great. And this is what we need to be doing. Like, we don't need to be coddling or accommodating people who espouse views that include wanting to murder swaths of the population for being brown or gay or trans. Like, we, we don't owe these people anything. And in the very, uh, take a very American view on it, like, we don't owe you shit. You want to show up and play a venue and make money and sell merch? That just sounds like a business transaction for you. You're not making any grand political statement. Why should anyone feel any sort of moral urge to ensure that you're able to go to work that day and make money off a bunch of impressionable people? Like, once again, grow up. Like, we don't owe you shit, and you should just stop trying to come here. Like, there are a lot of bands that I think are going to have issues in the coming years, and they should. They shouldn't. You know, keep that shit in your mom's basement where it belongs. Metal fans need to be aware that the aesthetics can be attractive to extremists. Extremists such as the Order of Nine Angles are using subcultures and edgy aesthetics to infiltrate, recruit and hide in plain sight. Here's Hope Not Hate CEO Nick Lowles explaining what the Order of Nine Angles represents. The Order of the Nine Angles is a Nazi Satanist group that seeks the overthrow of society through terrorism and violence. It is the most extreme cult in the world and it has to be stopped. Uh, there's something that's been worrying me a lot. There's a sort of aesthetic, semi-ideological overlap between some of these really violent terror cults like Adam Waffen, like Fear Krieg. Uh, there's one in the UK 
it's like black sun it translates to and then more like sort of fashy light crypto fashy things like operation werewolf mm. where these groups will take the aesthetics of black metal which they look really cool like can't blame them for that and then use that to sort of uh, just make it, it but use that as propaganda because it looks cool it looks dangerous and maybe people in that community in the metal scene will see that and be like, oh, what's that about? Like, it does not surprise me at all that there is a member of Adam Waffen, a leader of Adam Waffen, who is at a black metal show. Of course. Like, they're trying to kind of infiltrate that community and use that community's touch points to relate to people. I have heard it kind of pop up just in conversation for over the over years because that sort of crypto-fash esotericism and then actual crazy Nazi stuff like that that stuff filters its way into black metal in a lot of ways and always has just because there is that inherent fascination with the occult with you know sort of weird metaphysical I mean I think that stuff's boring but a lot of people get very involved in it in the metaphysical philosophical high-minded cerebral sort of pursuit of evil that appeals to a certain kind of black metal person so it makes sense that having this esoteric neo-Nazi order kind of pop up. Like, why wouldn't it? Like, there are people that are very into Julius Evola. There are people that are very into, like, Savarti. Um, what's her name? Savarti Devi. Like, there's a lot of weird esotericism that goes on in black metal in general because it just lends itself to the genre. But the fact that there is a tolerance and a, a rooted little scene of neo-Nazi fascist thought makes i mean it can make more sense and it also couldn't be more dangerous because like we talked about slippery slopes before from you know hating the church to becoming a heathen and hating people that aren't white getting into this weird esoteric satanic but not so like astral plane just all that weird stuff it, it makes it easier for you to think you're better than people One positive way in which we can tackle this threat is through the use of humour, such as that used by the anti-fascist band Neckbeard Death Camp. Hmm. Humour is definitely not the most widespread tactics. A lot of people take the stuff very seriously, which is important. But you can take it seriously and also kind of laugh at it because, I mean, Nazis are lame. Like, they're... I mean, that's a, the, not the strongest word one can use, but a lot of the, the people that you encounter on message boards, on forums, on Twitter, they're just, right, I can't say bad words. A lot of them are just freaking nerds. Like, they're weird gamer dorks that can't communicate with the world, so they decide they hate everyone. And that is something that a project like Neckbeard Death Camp really tapped into because uh, the person behind it, Noah, they, they spent a lot of time on forums just being an angry kid and they kind of picked up the lingo. And so they're able to lampoon those tropes in a really effective and I'm sure infuriating way. The name, the art style, and the direction of Neckbeard Death Camp was at its inception designed to take the things in nationalist socialist black metal, things that they think are cool, the symbols that they think are fun, all this bullshit, was to take it and hand it back to them and say, how the fuck do you feel? And it's very like ultra abrasive war metal. Like it's not accessible music at all, but the lyrics and the imagery, like it's just pitch perfect. I think it's phenomenal. But humor isn't the only route. 
there's a whole range of new bands expressing explicitly anti-fascist politics in words and deeds, and they're on the rise. So exciting to see that we have this newer generation of bands like Dawn Raid and Underdark and All Father. There's a lot of UK bands who are really going for it. But we also have, you know, bands like Thou and Race Trader and Sunrot and Trophy Hunt, like Vile Creature, Woe. Like we have so many bands who have just had enough and are coming out swinging and being very overt and very unapologetic about their politics. And it's been making an impact. I mean, I think that it's sort of, it's really lovely to see in a way too, because I've been in this scene for a long time. And if for really, for much of it, it felt like people didn't really care about the things that I cared about. And now I absolutely don't feel that way anymore. And I think it's only gonna make the genre stronger. As part of this resistance, 2019 saw Kim set up an unequivocally anti-fascist metal festival called Black Flags Over Brooklyn. So this sort of anti-fascist leftist political metal movement had been percolating, but there hadn't really been an opportunity for people to get together in one space and physically interact and organize and get to know one another and connect. And I felt like that was really missing. I saw that Dawn Raid was playing like an explicitly anti-fascist festival in the UK. Uh, like I just saw, I was scrolling through their Instagram and I saw they're playing this cool festival. And I was like, man, why don't we have that? We should have that. And then of course, because I've been booking shows for a long time, I was like, huh, I wonder if we could have that. So I texted the Dawn Raid guys because it's anti-fascist metal world is pretty small. So I could text or call most people that I'd want to work with. But uh, I texted the guys, I was like, yo, if I put on a show like this, would you guys come play? And I was like, yeah, of course. And then I still just idly thinking about it. I tweeted something like, hey, who wants to give me money to put on an anti-fascist metal festival? And the re people were really excited about, about the idea. But the catalyst, one of the things that helped the most is my friend Meredith, who works at Kickstarter, saw that. And she called me up. I was like, hey, we should do this, though. And she helped me set up a campaign and it kind of all snowballed. Like I, it, we raised a bunch of money. Yeah, we flew in Dawn Raid. We brought Race Trader out. We had Cloud Rap play. We had a lot of really incredible bands come. It was a really diverse lineup, which was really important to me. It was just, it was really beautiful, you know? Like it was one of the most diverse crowds I've ever been in as a metal person. I had a friend who brought her kid, like it was, it was just really lovely and uh, people seemed to appreciate it. Like I, a lot of people came up to me and told me they had a really good time. They, they felt safe. They felt welcome. And that's really what I wanted to do because I grew up going to metal shows and feeling like I shouldn't, feeling like I shouldn't be there because I was a girl. And at that point, there were very few women, especially young women at the shows I was going to. And as I got older and, you know, kind of became more aware of the world and realized like, a lot of other people feel the same way. Like being a black person at a metal show can be weird. Being a trans person at a metal show can be weird. Like there's, when you stick out, it takes away from the fun of it and it takes away from your enjoyment and your sense of community, especially if no one's actually reaching out to you to assure you like, hey, we're in this together. And I really wanted to create a space where, you know, everyone, every person who wanted to be there felt like they should be there and they felt supported and safe and they could have a good time and meet other people that feel the same way as them. 
and it's i mean getting a little like a little gushy it's a little it's not hippy dippy but it's a little you know i get emotional about this stuff because i still firmly believe that metal is for everyone and metal saves my life it saved a lot of people's lives and i think everybody who wants access to it should have that access unless they're a nazi in which case they should not show up because we don't want them one of my biggest hopes with with that festival is that people would see that and see that it was successful because it was it was basically sold out is that it's possible to do this like you can have an explicitly political leftist metal event and people will show up so i'm hoping that it's you know it inspired people to do more of their own and i did talk to the dawn raid guys about maybe doing one in the uk so we'll see we'll see what shakes out some people might say why bother contesting these ideas it's only music it doesn't matter but these attempts at doing metapolitics by the far right mean we have to resist it wherever we find it it just comes down to it comes down to the importance of cleaning up your own backyard right like loving metal there's nothing wrong with loving metal i love metal more than almost anything in the world and i love it enough to fight for it and to ensure that everybody who wants to have access to it can. I don't want anyone to ever feel like they don't belong at a metal show unless they're a Nazi, because in that case, they don't, you know? Metal is too good for Nazis. They've had it too easy for too long, and I think people are finally waking up to the, the deadly importance of that. And I'm so proud and grateful to everyone who has been speaking up and pushing back and trying to take back our scene and I think that it's really, you know, it's something big is happening and something important and needed is happening. I think we just need to stay the course and stick together and maybe be a little nicer to each other as people are learning and growing and figuring out where they stand. Because, I mean, the world's on fire and fascism is rising and people should at the very least be able to go to a heavy metal show and know that they're not going to run into an asshole in a swastika. Like, that is a bare minimum goal. And I think if we work hard enough, we can make sure that at the very least, metal really is for everybody, except Nazis. Like, metal is the best thing in the world. Like, why should a bunch of genocidal freaks be able to waltz in like they own the place? This has been the Hope Not Hate podcast on Metapolitics. Thank you for listening. Please leave us a review, subscribe to the podcast, and if you have the means, consider joining the Hope Action Fund to help us continue our work infiltrating and exposing the far right.